Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 1st of June. I'm Robert Barwick. I'm joined today by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, bankers hate democracy and Glass-Steagall. And if you want your lie to be believed, make it about Putin. So first, bankers hate democracy and Glass-Steagall. But Craig, before we get into some of the specifics of this subject, um, we just want to remind the viewers of the importance of our campaign for a Glass-Steagall separation of Australia's banks. And as we've announced here, we've had legislation that um, Bob Catter has, intends to introduce into Parliament. We've heard this week that the, um, the drafting office of Parliament has no problems with the content of the legislation. It's uh, so that there's no hurdle there. So it's all about now. It's just about members of Parliament stepping up to the plate and saying yes. I will have the courage to do this. And, and frankly, as you'll see with what we go through, it is going to come down to courage. Um, so what we mean by mobilise is take the bill, which you can get a copy from us, to your MP and insist that they should support it, for one. Um, sign the petition that we have, the change.org petition, which you'll see a link if you're watching on YouTube, you see a link on the, on the, uh, below the video here. Sign that and share that because every time you sign it, um, emails are sent to nominated MPs and they get, keep getting the impression that like the, the message that the public want this. Um, attend public events that you, that you know MPs will be at and go and talk to them in, a, in an informal way but make sure you approach them about Glass-Steagall because we had feedback that last week in the Mayo by-election um, in South Australia Rebecca Sharkey and Bob Catter were being approached by the public, just people, ordinary voters saying you should you know, support Glass-Steagall, I support Glass-Steagall, etc. And it helps them to, you know, it, it consolidates for them that this is something the public actually want. And for the viewers, Robbie, Bob Catter has said that he will introduce uh, the Glass-Steagall legislation that we've written into the parliament. That's right. the next period. So now, Craig, we also want to announce that uh, the CEC has a candidate for yes. the Perth by-election. And as the viewers probably know, uh, this by-election campaign is going to be quite long, something like nine weeks, yes. right, um, if, if it all goes according to plan. Apparently, it's a bit of gossip, there, there may be some chance after July that uh, Turnbull could scrap the whole lot and say, no, we're going to have a general election instead. So assuming that doesn't happen, we have these by-elections. The CEC's candidate is Barry Mason. He's a local there in Perth. He's lived there all his life. So he's... Uh, the issues he's running on is jail bankers for fraud and break up the banks to protect depositors, establish a government-owned national bank and build large-scale infrastructure for real jobs. And essentially, Barry um, is campaigning in this by-election to fly the flag for the number one economic policy Australia needs of breaking up the banks. Yeah, Robbie, uh, this will be a grassroots campaign. We want as many people, ordinary folk, to stand, stand with Barry, come and organise with him. We'll be doing all sorts of different things on the ground. We're not going to be spending huge amounts of money on advertising because at the end of the day, this is a program like this and it's actually one-on-one -on -one organising, yep. talking to people that makes all the difference. So we need people's support here. Barry needs your support. And uh, this should be a lot of fun because, look, the issue is break up the banks. That's right. And, and Craig, when we run candidates in these by-elections, um, you know, like we're in, we're in it to win it all the time, of course, but that, that requires, we, we don't fantasise about no. that as an outcome. What does happen though, you become a strategic factor in the mix 
and um, the, the other mainstream candidates will have to approach Barry, they'll want his preferences and all this kind Definitely. of thing. And our only issue that we're interested in talking about, there's lots of issues that we do talk about, but the number one that, that we want to prioritise for everybody is break up the banks. So that's right? what we're doing, yep. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So um, just to reiterate, to the support Barry Mason in the by-election in Perth, if you live in Perth and you're a viewer of the CEC report, if you live in South Australia, we recommend you get behind Rebecca Sharkey because Rebecca Sharkey has said that she will introduce, if she's re-elected, she will second the legislation Bob Catt is going to introduce. And, uh, Robbie, this doesn't mean that people who are not uh, uh, in those seats shouldn't participate because there's other by-elections on. Of course. If you're part of the other by-elections in those particular seats, whether it be Fremantle and some of the others, Longman, look, go to the public events, ask the candidates, what is your position on breaking up, breaking up banks, the banks? Right? If you need material on this subject, you haven't seen it before, get onto our website. They're particularly susceptible during by-elections and elections, Craig, because they want to please you, the voter. They're trying <laughs> right? to get your vote. Yeah. So you use that to go and get them to think about this. Because, as we'll now go through, whatever they might think as individuals, and a lot of them will be easily convinced on the issue because there is no real argument against it, when they become part of the system, they're going to find out that this is the thing the banks, which is a powerful establishment in Australia, a powerful lobby, hate the most. So let's go through that now. Um, there's, there's been numerous big events this week, Craig, which Glass-Steagall is actually at the heart of. The issue yeah. of breaking up the banks is at the heart of. So last week I mentioned in, on the CEC report that we'd spent the week in Canberra. And what was telling us while we were there, myself and Dr Wilson Sy, meeting with members of parliament about the Glass-Steagall bill to break up the banks, we were informed that bankers were also there lobbying MPs not to break them up. And what was um, humorous about that to me was that what they achieved by doing that was to prove to the members of parliament that the issue is whether they're broken up or not. Yeah. And what we talk about when we talk about breaking it up, Robbie, we're talking about separating out the normal commercial boring banking side of things that like banks used to be in this case, boring being a virtue. Absolutely, yep. because it's just basically taking in deposits, giving out loans to actual more productive type purposes, having mortgages, all that sort of thing. But that side of the banking system is fully protected because it's actually broken away completely from your, the, uh, the, the, the stockbroking houses, the insurance companies, the investment banking, the merchant banking, and anything else the banks have been in. Now, they're saying, oh, we're going to sort of semi-break ourselves up anyway because of the response to the Royal Commission and to all the bad publicity, but also for our campaign that's been running for now on yep. five years. And I just, you know, I want to put people back to, this is an ad that appeared in the December 3rd Australian that we ran, you know, December 3rd, 2013. 600 councillors, leaders and trade unions. Your trade unions supported our ad and our campaign back then for Glass-Steagall because we were campaigning against the policy of, of bail-in. And bail-in was actually de facto brought into this country in February when the Senate passed the legislation of the government to give APRA the powers to be able to do so. Now they say, APRA says, no, oh, we don't have those powers and they try and deny it. But there was a resolution in the makings of being put up to actually exclude deposits, which is what bail-in does. It, it allows the banks to steal people's deposits, but that was completely overridden by they the made parliament. sure that amendment couldn't get put into the exactly. legislation. So, I mean, in a sense, you know, this is the heart of the battle, as you say. I mean, why do the government do that? Why do they not exclude deposits? Is because this is the issue. The banks, uh, you know, 
believe that they can't be challenged either here or around the world. Well, and we'll go through, um, the, the, uh, we'll explain in a minute, Craig, the, the relationship between deposits and derivatives. And I want people to understand that because this is what's at stake and the banks do not want to be cut off from those deposits and they don't see them as something that there's our savings, they see them as, as, as their collateral, right? So, we'll, but anyway, here was the other issue in Australia. So what, while we had these events in Australia last week, and we've got the Royal Commission underway, et cetera, all of which is confirming our point. Big events happen in Italy, yeah, right? definitely. Now, what we might do here, for the sake of time, let's take a quick break, and we will discuss Italy when we come back. To find out more about what you've just listened to, go to www.cecaust.com.au or call the CEC on our toll-free number, 1-800-636-432, for a free copy of the Australian Alert Service. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing bankers hate democracy and Glass-Steagall. And Craig, the proof about the claim bankers hate democracy and Glass-Steagall is on display in Italy right now. So what you've had in Italy is very dramatic events. You had an election where two parties um, did very well, right? And together they got, they, if they had have run an electoral um, alliance, they would have got, you know, almost all the seats, Right. However, one of them is a left-wing party, quite left-wing, called the Five Star Movement. The other one is a right-wing party called Liga Nord. And naturally, they don't have much in common because they're you know, different. However, they are both a reflection of the fact the Italian people are sick and tired of, as the African-Americans used to say, of being sick and tired. They have been crushed by austerity for many years since the global financial crisis. You know, pensions slashed and all this kind of stuff. They've had bail-in. We talk about bail-in. Italy is one of the places where bail-in has been rep applied repeatedly, mm -hmm. right? Um, and ordinary people find themselves just uh, in all their savings gone, right? Using different tricks that they've had to, to deal with. All to prop up first the banks and this currency called the euro, yeah. right? Over which the Italian people have no democratic control because it's a European-wide currency and they've got no say in it. So they've voted for parties that are hostile to that system, right? Now, before we get into details, haven't we, as Australians, for the last two decades, supported wars in the name of democracy? Don't we, don't we say to ourselves that when we go... Didn't we say to ourselves when we went to Iraq and destroyed the Middle East by doing so on a lie, yep. didn't we pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, at least we brought democracy, this great, wonderful thing called democracy? Well... When it comes to the banks, this is what they think of democracy, yeah. right? Because it's fine as long as it doesn't force them to change. So, Well, consider, just Robert, in our own domestic situation, consider how uh, reluctant Malcolm Turnbull was to have the Royal Commission exactly the banks. Now, why was that? Wouldn't you think that a Prime Minister representing the democratic interests of Australians would say, yes, we've got to have this commission? Because it'd be knowing to be popular. Absolutely. Yep. Anyway, he was forced because, in fact, there was a revolt amongst the backbench of the National Labor, the, the coalition, and he was forced to do it. Now, yeah. what you've got here in Italy is two parties that want the same sort of financial policy of national banking and actually... Well, that's what's, that's what's dramatic about these two parties, so different. They formed a coalition, but they wrote a Around. contract, so this is what we agree on, and it is separating banks, right? In other words, Glass-Steagall. 
reviewing the bail-in law, like in a, they said a radical review, in other words, in other words, they're inclined to scrap it, right? Get rid of bail-in. A national investment bank and reclaiming Italy's sovereignty back from the European Union. That was That's what they agreed on, right? Yeah. So that's a huge threat. And this is where I want to explain this relationship between derivatives and, and um, deposits. What people have to understand, the European Union as it's, as it's structured is a creature it's a, it's a, uh, of the City of London. The, which, the City of London is where the, the world's banking cent, uh, system is centred, right? The private banking system is centred. And over time, a lot of, with a lot of direct British, people think of the British as always been a bit standoffish. No, no, no. There was a lot of direct British in, um, in intervention to create the European Union as we know it today. Yeah, Robert, we, by actually, Margaret Thatcher. we actually created a pamphlet on this. Uh, which is beyond the which screen. Which we call the British Empire's European Union. Yep, exactly. And it's on the screen now. If people want a copy of it, then they can call in for that. And essentially what, what they created was a structure where the EU became a political union, not for world peace and all this rubbish that some people think, but that, that political union could be more powerful than the nations that are members of it. And that union could be used to enforce the claims of banks over the member nations. And that's what you've seen in Europe since the global financial crisis, all through southern Europe there. Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Ireland, etc. They've all copped it where they've had to obey EU dictates in order to prop up a banking system, right? That's, that's, that's how it structures. Now, what's the issue with the banking system? It's that their the banks are terminally ill, Craig, with derivatives. Yeah. And the centre of it is a bank called Deutsche Bank. Now, Deutsche Bank was the is the biggest German bank, but what people don't realise about it is 20 years ago it stopped being a German bank. It merged with Morgan Grenfell, the British investment bank, and the chief economist of Deutsche Bank said this week, all our problems started from that merger because we adopted Anglo-American banking practices. Before that, what, what do we know about Germany? It's an industrial country, famous. It strengthens its industrial output. And that's what its banks were structured to support, right? Once they had this merge with Morgan Grenfell, Deutsche Bank became the world's biggest derivative speculator. Today, it is the biggest speculator in derivatives in the world. A couple of years ago, the IMF produced this graphic where Deutsche Bank is at the center of all the world's too big to fail banks and all those lines are its derivatives um, transactions with them, right? And I, the IMF's warning was, if this goes under, then the whole system comes down, right? Um, and that's the structure that they've been bailing out, the, 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 making the pe pe people in places like Italy suffer to keep propped up. Now, Robbie, I find it really funny here because, you know, people say, well, what are derivatives? And the best thing we say, look, they're best likened to gambling debts. Now, yeah. a friend of ours, Dr. Wilson Sai, I think he said he spent a whole year trying to define what a derivative well, was. Well, when he worked at ASIC, yeah. right, ASIC had set up a committee that for a whole year, its job was to come up with a definition of derivatives and after a year, they gave up. Oh, there you go. So you've got a whole, you've got a bank, one of the biggest banks in the world, if not the biggest bank in the world, has chock full of these things that no one can really define. That's right. That's and, insane. And but we know, while we can't define them, we know from experience what they're capable of. That's right. Two thousand and eight, long-term capital management, nineteen ninety-seven. Orange County, going back to the early 90s, Craig, remember these ones, Orange County, Procter & Gamble, the Mexican peso crisis, all these were huge derivatives crises, right? These are, t and, and what did Warren Buffett call them? Weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of mass destruction. That's, that's the reality, right? So, now, the thing with the derivatives, though, is 
the banks that trade in them collateralise them with deposits. The deposits they've got allow them to, they, they think, well, we can make all these crazy bets because if something goes wrong, because a lot of the, the reason they do them is they're actually quite profitable. Yeah. But when they go bad, they go super bad, right? It's like having your own little uh, nuclear, well, nuclear power the... plant for your house, right, yeah. which is great. But somehow someone gets to rejig it so it becomes a nuclear bomb, yeah, right, yeah, if it goes wrong, right? Which is, the, that's not how nuclear power plants work, I should say, but that's, that's how, that's how think, just think of that. Um, and the, 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 when they're making these bets, there's all these risks associated. They say, oh, no, if something goes wrong, the derivatives will, the, the deposits will cover it. So when, the, when this Italian coalition says, we want Glass-Steagall, what they're saying is, we're going to cut the Italian banks off from, that want to gamble in derivatives off from deposits, yep. right? That, that will bring down the system. And that's how the banking system has reacted. So this week, what you had was... Um, the Italian president, who's actually part of the aristocracy of Italy, he, on behalf of the banks, clear as day, the first thing he did was he rejected this coalition's choice for finance ministers because the guy they picked to be a finance minister was an 80-year-old, very experienced person, has gone through all the turmoil in Italy for the last 30, 40 years, seen what's happened, is totally anti-EU, and, he's, and the Italian president said, if he becomes the finance minister, you'll have chaos in the markets. So he rejected him. He had chaos in the markets anyway, yeah. right? Because there's a huge meltdown. They, they, this coalition is demanding a $250 billion debt write-down, and the markets are just in, in freefall over that. He replaced... The, the, the prime minister quit, so the Italian president replaced him with an IMF official. And that was such an insult to the Italian people because the, the, the power structure that's been crushing them all this time, is they call it the Troika. The I, which includes the IMF, the IMF, the EU, and the European Central Bank, mm -hmm. and he wants this. The, the president wanted an IMF official to run them, right? Well, all that served to do was the, the two coalition parties said, "No, we're not putting up with that." And there was a standoff that would have sent it to an election. The problem is the polls showed that if they went back to the election, those two parties, right, within this short period of time, were suddenly even more popular, right? They would have got an even bigger margin, right? So, hoping to avoid that, he's overnight he's agreed. To, to reappoint the initial prime minister again, um, and but he won't still won't let that finance minister take that post. So it's up to the two parties to decide what to do about that. But that's this president doesn't have that power, Craig. No, that's the actual thing. He's he's doing something that's unprecedented, because they do not. Here's this banking structure, the system. Here's the people, and they say you do stuff democracy. You do not have power over our system. Well, it, this is going to be a big showdown in Italy, and frankly, everyone should be on the side of the Italian people, right? Now, I'll just come back to Australia quickly, because what viewers have to understand is when we put up Glass-Steagall legislation for our parliament, it's not quite as dramatic as Italy yet, but the banks view it in exactly the same, with exactly the same level of threat in their mind. Oh, my God. And they... Don't be fooled. They will do whatever it takes, mm -hmm. right? Because for them, it's also going to cut them off their derivatives gambling. Remember, Australia's banks have $37 trillion in derivatives, right? That's collateralised by our deposits. And I want to put a chart up that we covered in the alert service this week um, where this, this shows how it's distorted the banking system. What you see is the red line is the banks lending to business since 1976, the green line is bank lending on mortgages. And the reason the banks have lent so much on mortgages and businesses have dropped is because they get to gamble on those mortgage loans with derivatives, yep. right? And have a look where it crossed over. 1999, 
the year Glass-Steagall was repealed in the United States, and that wasn't an accident because it unleashed speculation around the world, and that housing line is just pure speculation. Glass-Steagall would change all that. That's what our campaign's about. That's right. All right, so let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about poor old Vladimir Putin. To find out more about what you've just listened to, go to www.cecaust.com.au or call the CEC on our toll-free number, 1-800-636-432 for a free copy of the Australian Alert Service. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Finally, if you want your lie to be believed, make it about Putin. So, Craig, this is bizarre. It's a farce what has happened this week. The... Ukrainian security service, the SBU, and this Russian journalist, whose name is Arkady Babchenko, they faked his death and they made it like it seemed really real. The whole world reported that another anti-Kremlin journo has been murdered by Vladimir Putin. And as soon as they said Vladimir Putin, they said, oh, OK, that must be true then. We don't have to check it out. No, exactly. No, Monica Attard the senior ABC journalist in Australia, I saw her this morning, she admitted that fact. They believed it without question because it was Putin. And she said it, she was admitting to be embarrassed by that, right? They, some of these journalists like to think they're more rigorous than that. And that's been the nature of this for ages, right? And we've actually been, that's, this is one of our themes. The demonisation of Vladimir Putin has been used to justify a huge number of terrible policies from the West that no one's questioned because they've been so brainwashed into believing that this is the new Hitler, right? Yeah, people, people should call in for a copy of our Australian Alert Service, Robbie, if they, think, if, they think, if they think Vladimir Putin is a villain or they've got any ideas it's all Russia's fault, Russia's fault. Yeah. Get yourself educated. Call in for a copy of the Australian Alert Service and read how you're being duped because that's basically what it is. And, and most of the Western journalists get duped because they're too lazy to actually do their real homework. Well, because in this particular issue, we, we actually have, as the what we call the Australian Almanac, um, a section called Russia's 1990 criminalisation was, quote, made in London. And it gives the background of what happened in Russia in the 1990s, which was which it, they gutted the place. Before Putin. Before Putin. And it was the public reaction to that being destroyed as a country that made them vote for Putin. He's, he's right? viewed as a hero, Robbie, in Russia because Russia has a... Uh, it, they, Russians know this history of how they were destroyed from, from a, you know, an, an economic yeah. power to some degree. You know, Putin came in and he transformed, turned over, changed the destruction of Russia. And he's, fo- he's pushed back against it. Definitely. I, w- I just want to put up on the screen, though, just an example of how this was... this this fast was accepted with that question because of Putin. You see, here's the US Embassy in Ukraine tweeted. And by the way, this tweet is still up on, it, on, on Twitter. They didn't delete it. Another Kremlin critic is assassinated abroad once again in Ukraine. We offer our deepest condolences to Arkady Babchenko's family and colleagues, and we join the government of Ukraine in support of a full and impartial investigation that will bring those responsible to justice. And then Boris, dear old Boris, he, he tweeted, the British Foreign Minister, for those who don't know, a poll to see another vocal Russian journalist, Arkady Babchenko, murdered. My thoughts are with his wife and young daughter. We must defend freedom of speech, and it's vital that those responsible are now held to account. And one of the funniest things, Craig, is the Russia haters are still are saying, oh, no, why did they do this? Because now Russia is going to point to this every time they're accused of something. 
And why shouldn't they? Well, absolutely right. We have, we've spent a lot of time on this show pointing out that almost every accusation made against Russia, there's another side that's not reported. And the only reason people believe the first side, the accusation, is because Putin. Right. Yes. And what Putin represents, he is the leader, or one of the leaders of the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. They support the development of their countries through infrastructure and, and, and spending the money for their people and defending their national sovereignty. And this is what's under attack here. Yep. The fact that he's such a strong leader on this issue means he's got to be brought down in whatever way possible, in the eyes of the rest of the world. Otherwise, there will be big problems for the, for the West. Exactly. So learn from this incident. This is how the fake news is done. Craig, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Thanks, the viewer, and tune in next week for more. For more information on what you've just heard, you can go to our website at www.cecaust.com.au or call our toll-free number on 1800 636 432 and ask for a free copy of our Australian Alert Service.